0: Buddy, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Fruit Loops Season Two, Episode Nine. Um, if you uh, are listening <laughs> to our banger intro, then uh, and twerking to it, I hope you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> um, we thank you so much for listening to our show. I love our theme song, so I just wanted to shout it out. But by the way, Fruit Loops is a podcast about two crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. No way. Get out of here. Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear. Oh, whoops! Sorry, <laughs> my soundboard. <laughs> whoops! <laughs> that we don't hear and know much about <laughs> um, because uh, the media and entertainment they leave all those details out because the news is racist.
1: Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. No. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm -hmm. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we might feature it on a future episode. Can't wait to hear from you. So, Beth, who are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about the Dayton Christmas killings carried out by a bunch of teenagers and young adults. Laura Taylor... Marvellis Keene, Heather Matthews, and Demarcus Smith, who called themselves the downtown posse. Oh, can't wait! So, um, <laughs> before we get into the the
0: story, how you doing, Beth?
1: I'm good. I went to see a concert this week, which I haven't done in a long time. Ooh. I was invited by a friend, and I wasn't really looking forward to it because <laughs> I was imagining the concerts of my youth, and I'm getting too old for that nonsense. <laughs> 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 uh, but the band was. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Would you stop farting?
0: I need to give that a rest. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Sorry. So so sorry. All right. Okay. (laughs) I'm out of control. Uh, Okay. So
1: (laughs) the band was okay. Go and it was amazing. Uh, It was more like a show than a concert. Mm -hmm. So the idea was their their idea. Um, Well, the first song that they ever played on TV, they had to lip sync it because uh, they didn't have the equipment to record while they were playing. Mm -hmm. So instead of pretending to play instruments and lip syncing, they decided to uh, make up a dance. So uh, they did this choreographed dance for that uh, show. And Mm -hmm. on this, this show that I saw... Um, they kind of did the opposite. They would have their videos playing in the background mm-hmm. and uh, then they would play their song. So it was like kind of a reverse of lip syncing. Mm. And uh, th- they also did one song where they did lip sync and also did a choreographed dance <laughs> that they did in the video. So that was funny. And Hello. they also took questions from the audience. And no, at the yeah, end, they no. had all the kids. Yeah. And at the end, they had all the kids in the audience come up on stage and dance to a song. And uh, it was super fun. And if they come back, I'm definitely going again.
0: Oh, man. Oh, I am a huge OK Go fan. Um, And their videos when they first came out were, were revolutionary because they were so low budget, but they were so fucking awesome. So when I heard you were going to this yeah. show, my, my head literally exploded. <laughs> and their songs are so uplifting and positive and i can only imagine how good it would feel to be like in the midst of this of this band um so i uh i'm so excited that you went yeah it was fun it looked like a lot of fun but um me this uh has just been We're just getting ready for Christmas mode. We're trying to get little people in my home who believe in Santa Claus to continue believing. And so um, that's where all of my energies are focused right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, you know, I sometimes I have nightmares that it, like in the middle of the summer that it's Christmas oh, and I'm I'm not ready yet. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> like the next day is Christmas no, and I haven't bought any presents or I have nightmares, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 had our company Christmas party on Friday and people are like are you ready for Christmas yet? And I was like, I have not bought one damn present yet. No, hey, give me a break. No, I'm not ready yet. But I will get there. So
1: I hate when people ask you and um, like December 1st, are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> it's like, I'm no. Just done with Thanksgiving, <laughs> sir. Stop. No. No, I'm not. <laughs> So, speaking of Christmas, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that we'll be taking a break uh, for a few weeks for the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with more stories for you.
0: We will. And we'll miss you while we're gone. We but, will. Um, we hope that you will be back with us uh, when we return. So, um, now we are going to get into our mailbag.
1: The angels are here. Yay. <laughs>
0: Letters, do you have to share with us?
1: Ben? Well, uh, Rachel on Facebook said, I just discovered your podcast. I've binge listened eight episodes so far.
0: Oh, eight. Yeah, eight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like your chemistry and the subject matter. I myself am a Caucasian lesbian and I laughed my ass off about your lesbian mom joke you said on an earlier podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what, what we might have said. I, I but. think it had it had to have been after the we talked about the Hart family. And then oh. on I think an, an episode after that you said something about how what's what's the alternative getting uh, adopted by two white lesbian ladies something like that
0: (laughs) oh oh my sometimes i say the wildest stuff sorry i forgive. hey uh, i'm just gonna ask you and the lord to forgive me for the foul shit that i might say (laughs) anyway
1: thank you rachel well she laughed her ass off so uh it's okay (laughs) (laughs) and then she said i also respect you putting out content about non-caucasian people out there i absolutely agree with you if you're not rich good looking and white your story probably will not all be told everyone's Mm -hmm. life has value and meaning thanks for reading this and keep up the good work thank you miss rachel so yeah thank you
0: Yeah, thank you for listening and rocking with us. We got a nice little message from um, my uh, gal on Instagram, and uh, her name is Elsa666 on Instagram. So, hey, Boo, uh, by the way, she said, uh, just found this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Three thank yous. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome (laughs) and so pleasant. Black Girl Notes Rock. I know. <laughs> and heart <laughs> So thank you for rocking with us. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, now let's uh, take a quick break and we'll get into the story when we get back. So we would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. Well, thank you. We're back. We're going to get into the subject. uh, And would you like to introduce the uh, individuals
1: that we will be discussing. Certainly. Uh, (laughs) From December 24th through the 26th, 1992, Mm -hmm. six people were killed and three people were injured in one of the bloodiest killing sprees in Dayton's history, which has become known as the Christmas Killings. All right. Now we are going to get into my favorite part of these true crime stories, which is
0: the stats. Here we go. (laughs) all right speak their names because they are important the victims were joseph wilkerson he was 34 an acquaintance of taylor who um we'll get into the the people involved (laughs) later on uh danita galette she was 18 years old uh and she was a mother using a payphone at the time of her death richard maddox uh was 19 years old that was taylor's ex-boyfriend um Taylor, again, you will find is a very important part of the story. Sarah Abraham was 38 years old. She was a convenience store clerk. Marvin Washington was uh, 18 years old, an acquaintance of the uh, wackos involved in the story. And Wendy Cottrell, 16, was also an acquaintance of the nutzos in this story. Um, four people were convicted of these killings. Marvallis Keene, He was 19. Uh, He eventually was executed. Heather Nicole Matthews, she was 20. Uh, Demarcus Maurice Smith was 19 years old. That was uh, Matthews' boyfriend. And Laura Taylor was 16, and she was Keene's girlfriend at the time. And the killers were two black men one very bold-ass black girl, and a young white girl. And the stats on the killers are pretty straightforward, but Dayton, Ohio, I think we should know a little bit about before we get into it. As I've mentioned in the past, uh, I don't know shit about the Midwest, but here's what we (laughs) discovered.
1: (laughs) So currently, uh, Dayton, Ohio's population is 140,000, with 55% of the population being white. And the 1990s, it was 180,000. As late as 1990, uh, five General Motors plants employed more than 20,000 people regionally. At the time, the cities were well populated, but once the city felt the effects of the Great Migration, Uh, That's Black people leaving the South to move north and west to flee racial violence and seek opportunity. Economic growth due to industry and white flight to the suburbs, uh, the cities changed. Uh, Prior to that, Dayton in
0: 1966 experienced race riots. Uh, Dayton was established in in the 1790s. Guess who lived there before that and who they took Mm. took the land from? hmm, uh, it was Native Americans. It's a sad part of the history that we don't often discuss, but you'll hear about it on Froot Loops. The city, like many American cities, mandated housing segregation, which uh, crammed about 60,000 Black residents into ghettos with neglected schools and discrimin- discriminatory city services. America, uh, I think we've heard this tune before. Um, mm-hmm. in, uh, one particular beautiful morning a black man was sweeping the sidewalk in front of his apartment and as he was doing so he was blasted in the face with a shotgun by some white guys in a car and this the city erupted after this there were riots there was looting there were arrests and um even the national guard had to be called in so it was crazy
1: so dayton is not that different today it is the 14th most segregated largest metropolitan area in the nation The Great Miami River, which separates east from west, black from white, rich from poor, represents a cultural divide. The lowest performing schools, the blacks and poor population, looks the same as it did in the 1960s. Dayton, Ohio, like many cities in Ohio, was one of the stops in the Great Migration, where black people could find jobs and segregated housing. Dayton's west side is 99% black. The wealthy side of the town is guess 98% white. Yeah, that's pretty stark. Yeah, it is very stark. Um,
0: so it was a booming city, and innovation led to business growth. It is considered the birthplace of aviation as the White Brothers hailed from Dayton, Ohio, and currently Dayton is the sixth largest city in Ohio. Um, dying to go there. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) um, so now we're going to get into the early life, at least what we were able to discover about the early lives of the people involved. And as we mentioned before, there's a lot of information about Marvellis because he was painted as the mastermind, but I don't think Beth and I don't see it that way. So
1: we'll find something different. Mm -hmm. Uh, The four young people who went on this killing spree in Dayton, Ohio, referred to themselves as the downtown posse and consisted of 16-year-old Laura Taylor, 17-year-old Demarcus Smith, 20-year-old Heather Matthews, and 19-year-old Marvellis Keene. Three others in the posse who did not participate in the crimes were Wendy Catrill, 16, who was pregnant at the time, mm. Marvin Washington, 18, and Jeffrey Wright, who was 28 or 29, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, Marvallis Keene was raised by his mom, Bernice, who was a black woman.
0: Marvallis, pronounced Marvallis, and you, uh, I heard on a podcast where they were like, I'm just going to call him Marvelous. Well, that's not his name. That's not his government name. That's not the name his mom gave him. Anyway, um, his mom used to call him Valley, which was cute. Um, she stressed working hard and getting a good education. Growing up, he was involved in a uh, youth group. Uh, he sang in the church choir. And she raised two sons. Uh, Marvelous's brother was named Maurice. And <clears throat> welcome to uh, Culture Corner with uh, beth and wendy and i wanted to point out marvellis's name now people often comment or poke fun at black people and their unique names and it's true black people do the most when it comes to naming <laughs> offspring. they do we, we we know it um and not one person in my family has a regular name um i think personally, and I could be wrong about this, but I think it goes back to slavery. Um, enslaved people were given names by their slave masters. Um, they could not choose their names or even keep the names that they're, they were born with. Um, so even every time a slave was sold, they might change their name. And I think ever since then, Black people have made it a point to give their children strong, unique names. Plus, Black parents also try to instill this idea into their children that black people's ancestry was was royalty and they and they name their children accordingly.
1: So, just my two cents. Thank you <laughs> for that. Um so back to Marvelous, uh, mm-hmm. which I do I do keep thinking in my head Marvelous and I I have to try really hard not to say Marvelous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if I slip, I apologize. Yeah. So, uh Marvellis' father left when they were really small. Actually, I heard uh, one podcast that he actually left the day that Marvellis was born.
0: Oh, no. I know.
1: Sad. So their mother did uh, divorce him eventually when she realized he wasn't coming back. And then she married another guy. And the boys had a good relationship uh, with their first stepfather. Uh, But eventually that marriage ended, and Bernice married a third man who was an abusive alcoholic. And that marriage dissolved, and Bernice married a fourth time. And I think uh, the boys uh, had a good relationship with with him. Um, Mm -hmm. And they did reconnect with their biological father, who was living in California, raising a new family with three other kids. By the way, Marvellis' father was white. That's right. So uh, he lived in a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm.
0: Marvellis uh, attended high school and made decent grades. Uh, again, he was involved in his church. He volunteered there. And in the early 90s, Maurice Keene, that's the brother of Marvallis, was lured by the streets at a party. A drug deal went wrong and Maurice was killed after being shot three
1: times. Marvallis was very close to his brother and was deeply affected by this loss. So after after that happened, Marvallis had trouble in school and he dropped out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother uh, he was just despondent about his brother, and mm-hmm. his mother sent him to California to live with his dad. Mm-hmm. Marvallis graduated from high school in California, uh, but then his maternal grandmother died. And uh, Marvellis had trouble making friends in California. He and his dad got into a fight about finances and Marvellis left. He moved back to Ohio and he was staying with his mom, but eventually left her home a couple of weeks before Christmas. And we don't know why, but that's what happened.
0: That is what happened. Um. So uh, he worked at a nursing home, uh, I read, and... Uh, but. After all of this and the move and leaving his mom's house, he began drinking very heavily. And when he would get drunk, he would rant about um, his brother's death because nobody was ever arrested, tried, or convicted convicted, imprisoned for the death of his uh, brother.
1: And he joined some other young people and runaways who partied and smoked crack together. Sometimes the young people would crash at various crack and or trap houses. And I wanted to ask you, what's a trap house? I am so glad that you asked. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> because, uh, our, our theme song is Trap Song. It's a trap themed right. song. A trap is where you make your money, but you never, ever really make enough to get out. So a trap house, I mean, we could call our office the trap. That's a trap house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just very simply, it's where, it's where you make your money. So um, okay. if making the money is selling drugs, if it's selling um, your body, um, that's that's the trap. Okay,
1: cool. Or not mm-hmm. cool, but... Well, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, yes. that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, there's some other uh, lingo in here that I might have to ask you about. Okay, okay. So, uh, Marvellis would get faded and rant about how unfair life was and uh, how angry he was. To flex, he told his peers that he was a crip in LA, but actually, he had never been in trouble with the law. He was fronting for sure. Uh, people say Keen was very polite, but he liked to floss. He liked to brag. So what's flossing? Flossing is showing off. Okay, that's what I figured. And,
0: ben and flexing is flexing is the same. It's uh, like flex, flexing your muscles. Yes. Um, what else might we need to explain? Uh, getting faded—that's when you get uh, really drunk or high, uh, right? And Crips are a famous gang in L.A. And they, uh, what color do they? uh, Blue. Crips are blue. Bloods are red. Crips are blue. Crips are blue. And yeah. Crips have really fun dance moves
1: and gang signs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Marvellis had nothing to do with the Crips in L.A., absolutely nothing. He was just nothing. But, uh, but bragging. He, he yeah. Told, yeah, he told people,
0: well, I'm from L.A. and I was a Crip, but he was totally lying. <laughs> yeah. So um, Laura Taylor was a 16-year-old black girl. Um, she was involved in this posse um she dropped out of high school she was a runaway she sold drugs and she uh sold sex uh to get by and survive uh
1: and she was very street smart heather matthews had just gotten out of prison and was addicted to crack cocaine she was white um matthews was a truant a chronic runaway and a high school dropout She was released early from the Ohio Reformatory for Women at Marysville after serving six months of a one-year sentence for receiving stolen property.
0: Demarcus Smith was 17 years old and we couldn't find much about him. So uh, if you are listening to this and you know him or know of him, please fill us in on the details. Uh, And then there's, uh Wendy Cottrell, and she was the 16-year-old six, white girl um who was pregnant and um her family did not like that she hung out with and was dating a black guy um so she ran away from home
1: yeah and uh, she was pregnant with Martin's baby mm-hmm. or not Martin Marvin right 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 and uh i think that was the impetus for her running away from home she knew her parents would not be happy about that Mm hmm. So uh, and Marvin Washington, uh, Wendy's boyfriend, he was 18. Uh, we also don't know a whole lot about him. Actually, we know nothing about him. So, yeah. uh, again, if you know anything about him, give us a shout out. You know where to find us. <laughs> or I hope you do. <laughs> Sometimes the posse would stay at the apartment of a guy named Bill McIntyre, whose home I've heard referred to as a crack house. Bill sold the kids drugs and would let them crash at his house sometimes.
0: Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, most of the stories we've read and heard paint Marvellis as the ring leader. Now, uh, I think that Laura was actually the one cooking up all these ideas and doing much of the dirty work. Um, she had a baby face, street smarts, and she was a survivor girl. Um, I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. <laughs> so, uh, and Marvellus really, really wasn't a survivor to the uh, the magnitude that she was. I mean, he, he lied about being in a gang. Um, and yeah. she, we <laughs> will later, I just shot people in the face. So yeah, potato patata, but they were not the, the same uh,
1: caliber Yeah, caliber of um, leader. Right. So uh, Laura and Marvallis met after he left his mom's house. They stayed on the street, uh, did drugs, and even had enough money from Marvellis' job to stay in a hotel for a few days. But they ran out of money on December 23rd.
0: All right, so here's where the fuckery ensues, and we are going to get into the timeline. So
1: take it away, Beth. So in December 1992, downtown Dayton was filled with holiday decorations and activities. There was uh, the Christmas tree lighting on Courthouse Square, and across the street, the Dayton Arcade had reopened temporarily with uh, pop-up shops and eateries for the holiday season. Oh, dear do you hear those
0: sleigh bells ringling ting ting tingling too? <laughs> Slay
1: bells ring. Yeah. <laughs> Yo,
0: I have to pause I have to pause because we did do Christmas carols at our Christmas party. <laughs> at the company Christmas party. And Beth was, had these harmonies that were like child beyond a level, like uh, I I can't even I can't even repeat it, um, <laughs> and I get paid to sing sometimes. But I I, I, look, I had to look over at you and I was like dang what the hell is she doing that is is a good one (laughs) I I
1: thought it was funny because we were up there singing with you know a bunch of other people Um, Mm -hmm. what 10 people maybe yeah about 10 people yeah Uh about 10 people looking out at everybody sitting at their tables and they were all it looked like they were all like what the fuck are you guys doing (laughs) I okay. So I got that impression too. But then
0: we busted out the the remix from the the, that the company, company song party, yeah, twenty <laughs> years ago, and everybody's like, "Whoa!"
1: So then then people got it. <laughs> then they got a little more lively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
0: anyway, just I'm uh, that is a super tangent, but Beth. Whew, you got some pipes? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Back to the story. The downtown posse were estranged from their families and looking for trouble. Oh, yes. Laura Taylor is quoted as having said, let's get some drama in our lives. Oh, yes. And who boy did they? But did she not hear about Mary J. Blige and the no-mo drama? <laughs> anyway... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> On December 24th, 1992, Marvellis Keene and Laura Taylor enlisted Heather Matthews to help them rob Joseph Wilkerson. He was 34 years old. He was an acquaintance of Taylor's and Wilkerson uh, worked for General Motors uh, and
1: he was actually doing pretty good economically. Yeah. And uh, I kind of wonder how she knew him Um like maybe through her sex work. I don't know. Yeah. Because Taylor um, told Matthews that she had arranged for the three of them to go to Wilkerson's house and she'd promised sex with Wilkerson and mm-hmm. the three of them. So, um, but the real plan was to rob him and Matthews agreed to take part in the robbery. Mm-hmm. Keane, Taylor, and Matthews walked to Wilkerson's house and. And mm-hmm. after a drink, Wilkerson and Taylor went to the bedroom. After waiting briefly, Keen and Matthews followed them. Wilkerson began to take his clothes off, and Taylor and Matthews pretended to do the same. Quite
0: uh, diabolical. Um, Keen began to remove his own pants, but then he pulled them back up and he drew a gun. He ordered Wilkerson onto the bed then commanded Taylor and Matthews to tie Wilkerson's hands to the bed. While Keene watched Wilkerson, Taylor and Matthews went through the house looking for things to steal. Uh, They took a microwave oven. Now this is 1992. So they took a microwave oven, a TV, which probably was was big as hell, a cordless phone, uh, a curling iron. Oh yes. A blow dryer, uh, which they loaded into Wilkerson's Buick. Wilkerson told Keen that uh, he kept a 32 caliber Derringer in the garage. That's a gun. And Keen found it and brought it back to the bedroom. Keen then shot Wilkerson in the chest with the Derringer after covering
1: him with blankets to muffle the noise. So Taylor and Matthews, uh, hearing the shot, returned to the bedroom and saw Keen holding the Derringer. Wilkerson's feet were shaking. Uh, so they knew he wasn't dead. Uh, mm-hmm. Keene handed the Derringer to Taylor, but it would not fire again. So Keene gave Taylor his own gun, and Taylor shot Wilkerson in the head. Wilkerson then stopped shaking. The trio then loaded up the stolen goods and left in Wilkerson's car. Keene told Taylor and Matthews not to tell Cottrell and Washington what they'd done. They then went and picked up Heather's boyfriend, Demarcus Smith. Hey, Demarcus,
0: want to come hang out with us? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> we got all this stuff we stole from a guy we just killed. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Santa came. Uh, so <laughs> later that later that evening, Danita Gillette, 18 years old, uh, took a walk after spending time with her family on Christmas Eve. How lovely. She was a student and a mother of a two-year-old daughter, and uh Danita was from a very large family. I think this she had more than five siblings. I wanna say eight or seven. Um wow. and she lived with one of her brothers. Um uh, they spent Christmas Eve together and after dinner she walked around the corner to use a payphone. Remember those days? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. I, I I actually uh I used to use a payphone a lot, but I would um dial one eight hundred collect. And when they would say, say your name, I'd call my parents and I'd say, please pick me up <laughs> as my full name.
1: <laughs> I I had a, a code name. Oh, you did? When I would call my parents. Yeah. i Un- uh On collect. Yeah. S- Samantha Smith. Oh, and then they would know? Yeah. Well, they would know to call me back because this is oh, okay. when I lived in college in the dorm. and And that's when dorms were like really... Bare bones. Nobody had mm-hmm. a telephone. Nobody had a TV. Nothing like that. So oh uh, the, the only phone was a payphone in the hall. And so mm-hmm. I would call my parents and uh, they have the number for the payphone. I mm-hmm. would uh, call collect and say it was Samantha Smith or say, uh, I forget, um, ask for somebody and say it was Samantha Smith. And they would say, Oh, they're not here right now. Call back later. And mm-hmm. so. Then I'd hang up, and they would call me right back. Oh, that is very clever. See, <laughs> <laughs> that was a little tangent. It was a little tangent.
0: Um, so welcome back to the story. Keen, Taylor, and Smith were walking by when they saw Danita Galette at the public telephone. Smith decided that he wanted Galette's fila tennis shoes. So Smith and Keen drew their guns, and Smith. Uh, forced Galette at gunpoint to take her shoes off, saying, Merry Christmas, bitch. Smith and Keen then
1: shot Galette, and they stole her shoes, jacket, and backpack. All they found in the backpack was 50 cents. Police found her body on the ground outside the telephone booth, shot five times. The pavement was covered with blood and 25-caliber blazer aluminum bullet shell casings. Mm. Danita was transported to the hospital, where she died shortly after arriving. The group uh, drove Wilkerson's stolen Buick to Bill McIntyre's apartment. When they got there, Taylor was wearing Galette's jacket and Smith was carrying Galette's shoes. It's almost like they didn't realize that they were
0: committing crimes. They were just really enjoying themselves it seems like
1: yeah yeah it's really Really, weird really enjoying themselves
0: um that same evening jeffrey wright he was 28 years old uh arrived at bill mcintyre's apartment jeffrey wright was the ex-boyfriend but some documents i saw like court documents said that um uh he was uh the current boyfriend of heather matthews I don't know, but he was upset to find Heather there with DeMarcus Smith. Um, should say that these were young people. They were hanging out on the streets and surviving, ingesting substances, and it was not... Um, uncommon uh for them to have romantic and sexual relationships um that would begin and end amongst each other all of the time. So Heather may have been messing
1: around with DeMarcus Smith at the same time or shortly before or shortly after. Right. So Jeffrey and Heather got into a fight. Jeffrey grabbed Heather by the hair and started dragging her. Demarcus Smith saw this and then Wright and Smith fought. Smith took out a gun and oh. Wright saw it and ran out of the apartment, which is exactly what I would do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Smith took off after him and unloaded the clip in Wright's direction. He shot Wright four times, uh, but Wright was able to limp over to a neighbor's house and he survived. Keene, Matthews, Taylor and Smith took off in Wilkerson's Buick. And then on December 25th, Marvellous Keane returned to Wilkerson's house. He stole more items including Wilkerson's other car, a Pontiac. Mm. Boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this couldn't this couldn't last. It would be Im- I mean this they're just doing too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much, too much in the short period of time and
0: Yeah, in a yeah. very this is three days that this all occurs. Oh, and yeah. uh, in very, very close proximity, these events are happening. So, yeah. um, only a matter of time. Um, also, on Christmas Day, Laura contacted her ex-boyfriend, Richmond Maddox. He was 19 years old. Uh, and again, Laura was, I think, 16. Uh, she led him to believe that she wanted to hook up with him. <laughs> well, well. Uh, but she really <laughs> planned on robbing him. And uh, he picked her up in his car, and they were supposed to be going to a hotel.
1: Mm. But he noticed as they were driving that a car was following them. It was Marvellis Keene and Demarcus Smith. Following them in another car. Maddox became suspicious and gunned the accelerator. Taylor then put a derringer to his right temple and fired while he was driving and Gosh. she was in the passenger seat. And that's just nuts. That is, that is, that's like move,
0: that's like movie Tom Cruise stunt type of stuff. That's, that's yeah. insane. It's Whoa, girl. Crazy. Yeah. whoa girl um the cojones on this one laura then jumped out of the moving car before it crashed uh again <laughs> that's not something you do every day she hobbled no. away and, <laughs> nope nope and uh marvellis keen and demarcus
1: smith picked her up in wilkerson's stolen pontiac at first police thought maddox was killed from the car crash but when he got to the hospital, the doctors found a bullet in his head. Mm. Police questioned witnesses who said they had seen two black men. And uh, I have here that they were standing near the car, but it could have been in the car. In any case, they, uh, they saw a couple of black guys.
0: Uh, uh-oh. Call 911. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>
1: There's some black men on the street. Call the police.
0: Yeah. Uh remember that one eight what is it? 1-844-White Fear W-Y-T-F-E-A-R. <laughs> call it. Call it before you call 911. If you see a black person doing something regular before you call the police. Anyway, yes. early in the morning on December 26th, the downtown posse was looking for more people to rob. Matthews drove the Pontiac to a BP service station where Kathy Henderson was filling her tires with air. They pulled a gun and Kathy ran good. They fired at her, but uh, she was not hit. Keene and Smith then drove off in Henderson's car. Matthews followed
1: in the Pontiac. And um, when it says early in the morning, I think it was like two o'clock in the morning, something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So later that morning, uh, Matthews drove the Pontiac to the shortstop Mini Mart with Keene, Smith, and Taylor in the car. The location was Laura's idea. She knew only a few people worked there at a time. And that it was isolated and would be an easy target. Again, this is why we think Laura is the the actual the ringleader. ringleader.
0: <laughs> Taylor went into the store and bought a soda. And uh, she was a nickel short. And Edward Thompson, who um, I've also seen referred to as Jimmy Thompson, another customer, gave her the nickel so she could buy, you know, her drink and then laura went back to the car to report that there were only two customers inside matthews handed a 32 caliber revolver to smith and smith and keen were also carrying uh 25 caliber automatic pistols man they got a lot of guns for these kids and keen and smith went into the
1: store sarah abraham was working behind the cash register abraham was from ethiopia she was the mother of three children her youngest daughter was in the States with her. Her two older kids were back in Ethiopia. She was educated and had been in the States for 15 years. Abraham's family owned the store, and they had spent their entire life savings to open it.
0: At gunpoint, Keene ordered Abraham to open the register. Uh, Abraham did so and removed $44, which uh, she handed to Keene. It's not that much money, guys. Is it worth it? No. Um, Keen then shot Abraham in the face. Um, I heard she was shot in the mouth and in the head. Um, Several days later, Abraham died of her wounds, and
1: Smith also shot at two other people in the store. Jones Pettis was shot in the hand and the stomach, but he survived. 71-year-old Thompson, the guy who had given Taylor a nickel, was shot at. He was not shot, but he fell down to the ground and pretended that he had been shot, and he also survived. Both Thompson and Pettis were able to give police a description of the shooters.
0: At this point, the police were starting to uh, put the pieces together. So hip hop air horn for the police. I don't give you guys this very much, but here you go. <laughs> okay. And they realized that these crimes were connected because of the ballistics, specifically the 25 caliber blazer, aluminum, bullet, shell, casings.
1: Marvellous Keene and DeMarcus Smith were starting to get paranoid. I imagine um, that there was some media attention to these crimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they started switching up cars that they were driving and they started changing the license plates. Uh, but they were especially paranoid about Wendy Cuttrell. And her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Marvin Washington, who had not participated in the crimes, but they knew about them. Right. And as we mentioned before, the downtown posse included Laura Taylor, Demarcus Smith,
0: Nicholas Woodson, Heather Matthews, Wendy Catrill, Marvin Washington and Jeffrey Wright all of them, except Jeffrey Wright, uh, had been to Wilkerson's house to drink and hang out. Um, While well, Wilkerson's b- dead body
1: was in the back bedroom. Um, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> What's that movie? Uh, something with Bernie? Uh, uh, the one one where they drag the dead body around everywhere? Oh, I'm not familiar. Weekend with Bernie or Weekend at Bernie's? I have never seen that movie, but I didn't know that that's what it was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget exactly what happened but their friend Bernie died and then they they drag his body around pretend like he's still alive
0: oh <laughs> lord have mercy on all of our souls I didn't know that wasn't a thing oh no you
1: know, and I can't remember <laughs> oh, why they had to do that but yeah that's oh god <laughs> did not, did not so wow. it was weekend at Wilkerson's weekend at Wilkerson's <laughs> Merry Christmas <laughs> uh but jeffrey wright had been shot taylor and matthews started discussing jumping wendy Catrill. uh smith also said that he was going to unload a clip in marvin washington's ass (laughs) sorry i like that (laughs) sound (laughs) smith thought that wendy and marvin were going to snitch about smith shooting jeff wright the group discussed picking Washington and Catrell up and taking them to a park or something.
0: Are you familiar with the term jumping, Beth? Uh,
1: I thought it meant like beating beating them up.
0: You're right. Yes. We're we're gonna we're gonna okay. jump her. We're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kick right. the shit out of her. Yes. Um Woodson was starting to get paranoid about the possibility of the group turning on him too. So when they went out for a drive and drinks later that evening, he said he was tired and asked to be dropped off at home. Bye guys.
1: Yeah, and I also wanted to mention that uh to drive home the point how young these kids were. Um mm-hmm. Woodson mm-hmm. lived with his parents. Ah, so yes. Yeah. So they dropped off Woodson at his parents' house and then drove to a gravel pit. At the gravel pit, Smith ordered Washington out of the car and Keene dragged Cottrell out. Washington and Cottrell protested that they had not gone to the police or snitched.
0: They never said a word. Um, The two begged and pleaded and said they would not Ever snitch and had not told the police one damn thing, but Keen and Smith forced them at gunpoint to walk behind a pile of gravel. There, Keen shot Catrill and Smith shot Washington. Wendy was shot in the face and in the back of the head. Um, Marvin was shot several times in the torso and in the back of the head, and Marvellus and Demarcus stole the jewelry off of the dead victim's body. These bodies. <laughs> there was two of yeah. Them.
1: That's pretty awful.
0: Yeah, it's pretty low, guys. Um, I've never done crack, um, but it really does seem like it's a hell of a drug. If it,
1: yeah, <laughs> if <you laughs> that's what it, they say. You <laughs> all of these
0: extracurricular activities. So now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest. Uh, So what do you got for us, Beth?
1: On the afternoon of December 26th, Nicholas Woodson was so freaked out about this crazy-ass posse that he called the police. He told the police uh, they talked about robbing and killing people. He spilled all the tea the people killed, including Wilkerson's dead body, the car stolen, their plan, and everything. Uh, Woodson told the police he was in fear for his life and the police brought him in for his safety.
0: Um, So now the police knew who they were looking for and the vehicles they were driving. Later on December 26th, former Dayton police sergeant John Hubber spotted a stolen car on Colmer Avenue. Colmer called in the plate to check it. And when registration didn't come back to a Dodge Shadow, units closed in from all directions. At the time, Hubbard did not know that he was stopping Dayton's free
1: killers. Way to go. Way to
0: go. you know what?
1: (laughs) Nice job, officer. (laughs) After so much violence, the gang's capture was actually fairly uneventful. Smith did run into a nearby house, but was quickly captured while the other three Keen, Matthews and Taylor were taken into custody without incident.
0: Quote, they all cooperated and put their hands up. I later found out from the detectives that Laura Taylor told Marvellis Keen to shoot me and he wouldn't, said Haber. Police confiscated several weapons. They found Danita's jacket and Wendy's jewelry. They also found a pocket knife belonging to Joseph Wilkerson.
1: After the four members of the posse were behind bars, Taylor got a visit from a local minister who was concerned that she was only 16 and accused of such terrible crimes. During their visit, Taylor told him about two more victims and police found the bodies of Wendy Cottrell, 16, and Marvin Washington, 19, in a city-owned gravel pit.
0: Oh, boy. Uh, So (laughs) Taylor's insolence in the face of serious charges shocked the detectives. Shocked those two. One of the detectives called Laura Taylor a cold-hearted killer. She lawyered up real fast, but the remaining three did not, and they told the police everything. Uh, at trial, prosecutors painted Keene as the ring ringleader, but detectives believed Laura was actually the catalyst for the spree. Same girl, same. All but Marvallis were ineligible for the death penalty because they were minors.
1: Keen admitted to his crimes and waived his right to a jury trial. Instead, he had a three-judge panel and was found guilty. Keen's defense team cited PTSD for the death of his brother, the abandonment from his father, and his immaturity. The court acknowledged these things, but they did not buy it citing that he had a hard-working, church-going mother who raised him and cared for him. He had no criminal record, and he didn't. He had nothing, not even a speeding ticket. Not even a parking ticket, right. Yeah. But at the same time, he had killed uh, five people in three days. So uh, they said, no, girl. No, girl. Not today. Not today,
0: Satan. (laughs) so heather gave up uh the most details when she spoke to detectives during a prison interview in 2000 where is that dateline episode heather matthews explained why she got into the crime spree i wanted to to be like them i wanted to do what they was doing matthew said Uh, she later claimed that she didn't do any of the actual killings but she didn't stop them either Because she was too scared. I
1: don't know. Homicide detective Doyle Burke said that once the killing started, he believes that they were all willing participants. They enjoyed it. They lived it. It made them somebody, Burke said. Said Dayton police sergeant George Hammond at the time. They were like a shark. Once they tasted blood, they couldn't stop. So, um... That's a great soundbite,
0: but um, they were kids. I don't know if uh, it was um, really uh, clear to them exactly what they were doing. Um, We'll get into that later, I guess. So where are they now? I'll tell you. Um, Clemency hearings are routine in capital cases and inmates usually make a plea for mercy. But Marvellis did not. He declined even the standard death row interview with a parole board member to make a case for clemency. At his request, his defense attorneys offered no argument in favor of clemency. At the time, Rachel Troutman of the Ohio Public Defender's Office said he doesn't want to cause his family and the victims' families any more pain than he already has.
1: Wow. Shout out to you. Yeah, and on july twenty first, two thousand and nine, Marvallis Keane was executed by lethal injection at ten thirty six AM at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville. His last meal, and, you know, I'm all about the last meals. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) His last meal was a porterhouse steak with A1 sauce, a pound of jumbo shrimp with cocktail sauce. Oh, yes. French fries, onion rings, Uh dinner rolls and butter, Mm -hmm. two plums, a mango, a pound of seedless white grapes, German chocolate cake, Two bottles of Pepsi and two bottles of A N W Cream Soda, <laughs> and I also found out that um, he had his last meal. It was the day before. So, oh, um, I always wondered about that. Like, when do they get their last meal? Is it like right before they get killed? That's what. Or yeah, oh, it, he had it the day. Before. Yeah, yeah, I guess the night before his dinner. Wow, um, I'm just saying.
0: All of that stuff would probably give me diarrhea. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of food. Anyway.
1: He probably didn't eat all of it. Wow, two
0: bottles of each of those sodas. Oh, me, oh my, wow. Um, but yeah. good choices. I can't fault you for that.
1: Yeah, can't fault you for your choices.
0: <laughs> no, well- at least not the food ones. <laughs> uh, so
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> the killing ones, not so much. <laughs>
0: well, those are questionable. I don't, I, I wouldn't have done, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been my idea of fun, but, uh, all right. But a porterhouse steak,
1: yeah, I'm uh, all yeah. down for that. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you there, at least. So, um, Keen was the 1,171st execution and the 1,000th by lethal injection since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Asked if he had any final words, he said, "No, I have no words." None of his family attended the execution. Some of the victim's family members did attend. Um, Laura Taylor. She is currently serving a life sentence in the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville for her role in the Christmas killings, uh, the Dayton Crime Spree of 1992. And she is not eligible for parole until 2098. Oh, yeah, she's
1: never getting out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Demarcus Smith is serving a life sentence at the Mansfield Correctional Institute for his role in the uh, Dayton Christmas killings. He is not eligible for parole until 21
0: He got more time than, than Laura, did, Laura did, which is yeah. weird to me.
1: Yeah, that is weird. But
0: guess why? Because black men always get sentenced. Dark skinned black men always get sentenced. Yeah. And anybody else.
1: And men in general, I think, get longer sentences than women Mm -hmm. usually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Heather Matthews is serving a life sentence at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville for her role in the Christmas Killings. And her parole date is uh, twenty-one thirty-two.
0: Hey, whoa! Which, okay, that's later than everybody.
1: That—that's even longer than uh, Demarcus. And she's a white lady. Yeah, and she didn't kill anybody. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh no, the injustice of it yeah, all. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh boy. Anyway, uh, her mother said, I thought she changed. I really did. And this was about her daughter after she'd been released for her first incarceration Mm -hmm. before the killings began. Uh, She said her daughter was a follower. Like the old saying goes, if somebody jumped off a bridge, she'd do it too. Uh, Love you, Mom. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Of course, she is in jail for a killing spree. So, you know.
0: I know, I know. I just, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> going to cape up for you. I, it's got to be your mom. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it kind of was in a way because she's saying it wasn't her idea. She was just a follower. Mm-hmm. She's just following along.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, I'll take that. So I receive that. I am keeping <laughs> that, and then I—I I don't am, know if I buy it, I, but I—I I receive, I it. receive it. I'm listening to you. I see you and, uh, I'm going to move on (laughs) now. Now the, uh, when we're talking about where are they now, uh, great. We heard about where the posse is now, but what about the victims? What about the families? Um, the, they, they killed quite a few people and left many people in their wake. So, um, the victims families, relied on each other throughout the trials, um, sentencing hearings and up to even beyond Keene's execution. Um, Sarah Abrams was survived by her brothers, Sam and Solomon. Uh, she had a daughter, uh, Desta. And again, I think we mentioned she had two boys who were still in Ethiopia. Um, Wendy Catrill's mother, uh, her name was Donna. Uh, her father and stepmother were Donnie and Rita Catrill. Um, were left behind. Richard Maddox was uh, survived by his parents, Eugene and Marceline Maddox and his sister Yolanda. Jones Pettis uh, and Edward Thompson um, survived the shooting um, and they were helpful during the trials uh, and also in identifying the um, shooters. Joseph Wilkerson uh, was survived by uh, Christine and Floyd Wilkerson. Um, His brother Bill and uh, his daughters, Lorena Wilkerson and uh, Deborah. I didn't quite get the last name. I want to say Oxidine, but I don't know if that's right. Um, and then Marvallis Keen. His mom was Bernice Parker, um, but she lost her one son to that murder uh, before Marvellis went on his spree. And then she lost Marvellis to these crimes
1: and his subsequent execution. So, yeah, um, not a lot of winners here. No, no. And Rhonda Gallette, Danita's sister, admits that even after 25 years, the holidays are still very difficult. Mm She said, I grieve for my family, but I continue to grieve for the other victims' families and also the people who are incarcerated. Mm. Anybody's life can either go to the left or the right, so I do. I think about them very often. Galette said the murder of her sister had a huge impact on her life. The crime led to a, a breakup of her engagement, the loss of a child and her mother, Six years later, my mother passed away prematurely, said Galette. My mother passed away at 51 years old, and she passed away because of grief. My mother absolutely died of a broken heart. And that's that's really sad.
0: Um, Galette is now an advocate, thank you, for victims' rights and is working on her master's degree. Shout out to you, Ma. Um, she said she gets yeah. through the holidays by serving her church, and feeding the homeless, Rhonda helped raise her sister's daughter, Dominique, the two-year-old who um, uh, Gillette left behind. Uh, who again, she was two years old at the time of the murder. And a book called "The Christmas Killings: Forty Hours to Justice" was written by retired Dayton police officer Steve Grismer and detective Dennis Murphy and Dr. Judith Monsieur. And I'm just gonna say. Um, these are all three white people who wrote this book. So I am sure that it's full of facts and insight about the investigation and the the detectives, but I don't know if they have the ability to capture the nuance um, involved in the um,
1: victim's side of the
0: story or.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, it doesn't. <laughs> um, I heard on another podcast uh, they interviewed them, and they the focus of the book is uh, on the investigation. Yeah. So it, it's like from the perspective of the police officers and the detectives investigating the crimes, which is it's still interesting. Sure, but it's not gonna. Yeah, it's, it's still not gonna be a little, um,
0: a little. Mm, my, I, I like my there's this meme going around of oprah tasting this white lady's chicken that she didn't put any
1: salt oh i saw it. that yeah <laughs> she's like uh could you use some salt uh, I, i'm sorry i just the, the white chicken. lady's like yeah. you can salt at the table <laughs> yeah. oh, <my> God. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that she did that on
0: TV. <laughs> uh, but, so anyway for this book might be lacking salt and pepper. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So full full disclosure. full disclosure. And and we didn't read it. So, no, we didn't because there it. wasn't enough. There, there
0: wasn't enough salt and pepper. <laughs> That's why I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there it is. If you want to pick it up, um, I'll send you the salt <laughs> and pepper in the mail. Um, So uh, what what made the posse snap? Um, I'll tell you what I think. So Laura, in my opinion, had to have had a really hard upbringing to end up doing sex work and involved in drugs like crack, which is a hardcore fucking drug at age 16. Um, This was the 90s. So I wouldn't be surprised if she saw um, the same behaviors that she did um modeled by her own close maybe family members i'm just this is speculation here because we couldn't find a lot about her but the crack epidemic did a really strange thing to the to the black community it not only tore families up but it also destroyed the dynamic between adults and young people it flipped it so adults were like needy children and irresponsible and uh, you know addicted sick and the children had to figure out how to survive on their own um and i think that's why laura had her street smarts i mean she she must have had no choice but but to um engage in the way that she did right now marvellis um he was just broken from all the things that he'd lost, his father, multiple stepfathers, his brothers, his grandmother. And while it sounds like he had a, a very strong, loving mom for him, maybe it just wasn't enough. Um, it often isn't enough when the dad isn't around. And, the, you know, the narrative doesn't change even though mom is home and showing you love. What about my dad? You know this is in my head, Marvallis asking, what about my dad? Why doesn't he want me? You know, I'm not saying a single mom can't raise a good, strong, upstanding male citizen. I was raised by a single mom, but his, his upbringing definitely was a factor in, in his, um, behavior.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of times, uh, our society focuses on, on the moms and, and what the mom did and everything's the mom's fault or, you know, uh, but the, the kids' relationship with their father is just as important. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of dads, just when they just take off, um, I don't know what's going through their heads because kids need their dads too.
0: Don't they know so, how much they yeah. are ne- needed?
1: You know. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my uh thoughts are i think uh this was kind of like peer pressure in the extreme mm-hmm. I, I think about when i was a teenager of course we never went around killing people but i know i did a lot of really stupid things following oh yeah what other people were doing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and laura was the instigator i think and Marvallis, uh, I think, was lost mm-hmm. and didn't really know where he belonged. Mm-hmm. And when he hooked up with Laura and her group, suddenly he felt important. Mm-hmm. He bragged about being in the Crips, and they all thought he was a badass. And he had he kind of had to keep that front going. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else that amazes me about this story is that. He and Laura had only known each other for two weeks.
0: Whoa!
1: Oh my! Isn't that nuts? What? Yeah. you're young. When you're That's young, two weeks?
0: can't two weeks seem like a lifetime?
1: It's yeah, it seems like two months at least. <laughs> it does, yeah. So, um, I also I wish we knew more about Laura's life. I really, I really do. I looked and looked and looked, and I couldn't find much of anything. Mm-hmm. And Heather and Demarcus T- Two for mm. that matter, yeah. couldn't find a whole lot about them, yeah, uh, the news articles are all about marvellis um and I think part of that might might also be because he had never been in any trouble before, and all of a sudden he's in this posse and they're killing people. So I think that might be some of the fascination, Yeah, but, uh, there were three, three other people involved in these crimes. And I don't think that Marvellis was the worst of the bunch. No. And we only know about him.
0: Um, since you, you brought up belonging, I'm just going to bring this up because there is, um, a common theme in mixed race individuals. Um, like Marvellis who was half white and half black this idea of being lost and never ever fitting in and one of the um, archetypes in um, black literature in black life is the tragic mulatto which Marvellis would have fit into the person who never Ew, quite fits in I, with black culture yeah. never quite fits in with black culture and anybody that accepts them that's who they're running with but um, I, I I mixed race too, so I I mean I under I totally get it, but I I, I just wanted to I just wanted to put that out there because I, I I don't want to leave any stone unturned yeah. in this story.
1: Um, yeah, and I didn't think of that, and that's that's a really good point.
0: Yeah, you you just brought it up and it, it came to my mind. So now we're gonna get into our takeaways. Um, so uh, this bunch, they were an equal opportunity murder bunch. They did not really discriminate. Um, most of their victims were black people, but that I think has to do with you know where they lived um again we talked about how segregated dayton is um and the, the places and people that they had access to if they were on the other side of town best believe somebody would have been calling the police right away and they wouldn't have murdered anybody uh, also um they started out uh, i think the motive was um robbing people but they really didn't robbed that much stuff in value they didn't get that much money um they only took a couple cars. Yeah. um but then the motive became this joy killing once they killed that first victim mm, mm, they just couldn't stop uh, it was so tasty uh it sounds uh like it was also a terrifying time to be in dayton ohio given how random these murders were over the holidays and that is not lost upon me so i i do want to put that out there but it it, it just
1: had to have been a really scary Christmas and a not-so-happy New Year. Yeah, so my takeaway is um, it really shocks me when people as young as 16 kill, uh, let alone six people on a killing spree. Mm-hmm. Um, But I I have a problem with juveniles being charged with adults. Yes. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The human brain isn't fully formed until we're about 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And this is why teenagers often make horrible decisions, especially if they've had a terrible home life. Mm -hmm. I think each case should be considered differently. And if rehabilitation is at all possible, that should be the goal. Often, these kids who are tried as adults are later let out on parole mm-hmm. when they are much older and they've been into institutionalized and hardened. Mm-hmm. The US is not big on rehabilitation, but it's real big on punishment. Oh, yes. And if people are going to be released later, um, if that's going to happen, then it's not helpful or good for society to release these people who've been institutionalized. Uh, that all that said, mm-hmm. I I really don't know if Laura could have been rehabilitated. So maybe not. That's why. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think not. every case should be considered. uh differently. You know, yeah, take everything into consideration.
0: I know several convicts. One comes to mind. His name is Con. We call him Convict Jonathan. Jonathan was locked up when he was 13 and released when he was 23. And he still acted like a 13 year old. It was like he never had the opportunity to grow. He never grew up. As a human, he never grew up. And I don't know if he ever will. (laughs) I mean, I don't want Convict Jonathan coming to my house anytime soon. I mean, I'll see see you at the next. Family event comic Jonathan, but I don't we don't need to like he he's a child he's a child, but he's a child who's been harmed yeah. by the criminal justice system. So um right. okay, so uh now we're gonna talk about how not to get murdered. Um <laughs> Even if you love true crime and you don't want to die,
1: here's a tip for you. <laughs> All right, let's do this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips.
0: Okay. So, oh, sorry.
1: Woo! Wake up,
0: Wendy. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. Sorry to your co workers who might be l- listening to you, listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, it is the holidays, y'all. And it is also robbing season. So be on guard. I recommend. A security system, we've talked about this in the past. There are some um, alarms that you can stick on your windows and doors. You can get them at Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, And you can also get fake security system signs um, to keep, you know, intruders at bay. Um, Also, beware of dog signs are a good way to keep um, intruders at bay. If a... This is sad, but most people who are stealing um, are doing so because they're poor or they need to feed an addiction, um, and they uh, want the easier route. So, if it's between your big ass dog, or your beware of dog sign, or the house that has nothing, you know, in front of it, they're going to go with the easier one, right? Um, mm-hmm. a step above that, maybe like a, a security system. Um, like Simply Safe, I think Simply Safe is a really good system because they're not a sponsor of ours, but you know, you guys can get at us. You know how to get us. Simply Safe, <laughs> please do sponsor us. Um, <laughs> but it's a really neat system because you can set it up yourself. There's no contract. Uh, you don't have to have a convicted felon come into your house. Um, you know, like if your phone line were to get cut, you know, like from one of those horror movie scenes, um, the service is still operable. Um, and these. Killers essentially were ambushing their victims. Um, so in the store, you know, they they killed somebody. At a party, they shot somebody. At a payphone, they killed somebody. Filling somebody was filling up their tires and they shot at them. So I recommend just be aware of your surroundings, especially at this time of year, and be careful when you go to a gas station or a convenience store. Don't get out if it's dark and it's a questionable scenario. In my neighborhood, I don't have any um I know what it is. You I'm not, there's some gas stations at nighttime. I'm not getting out of my car (laughs) or stopping at that place. So just everybody head on the swivel, be aware, be safe. Happy holidays.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Something I noticed about this story was that some of the victims like Danita Gillette and Kathy Henderson were out late at night by themselves. Mm -hmm. If you have something that you need to do, like fill up your tires, or something like that. Try to do it during the daylight hours uh when there are lots of people around and it's not dark. Yes, amen. So,
0: now we're going to get into the part of our story where we get into some serial killer or true crime news. So, what do you got for us, Beth? Anything juicy?
1: Well, while researching this case, I saw an article about a soccer coach on the run from Ohio cuz I was looking at an article on an Ohio newspaper. Oh, okay. So, um So he was on the run from Ohio after being charged with multiple counts of sexual conduct with a minor. Oh, no. Sexual battery by a coach, sexual imposition stemming from allegations he had been sexually involved with a 14 year old. Oh, no.
0: Stop. Oh, no.
1: Yeah, this guy was 41 years old. His name was Justin Smith. He was of Germantown, Ohio. And he was actually on trial. (laughs) in montgomery county uh when during a break after he had testified okay in the proceedings um, on okay. on october 31st okay he escaped he cut off oh, his no. he had an ankle monitor he cut it off and just took off um but he was arrested uh the other day on december 14th in a townhome at uh fort walton beach florida um, Good. Smith had been one step ahead of the authorities and using cash and burner cell phones to evade arrest. But it was his use of a dating website that finally led to his apprehension. What a pig! Do we know which one? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. it. It just said a dating website. Okay. Um, but this was his downfall because a woman that he was communicating with on that website mm-hmm. cooperated with local authorities in Florida. Um, she looked this guy up mm-hmm. and uh, found out who she was talking to mm-hmm. and called the police. Shout out to you, Ma. Way to go so, with this. Yeah. Smith has been charged as a fugitive from justice and transported back to the Okaloosa County jail. So um, when I saw the link to the article, I didn't, I didn't click it. Um, and then later I was like, I'm going to look that up. So I went to, to find it. Um, so I Googled soccer coach arrested okay. and a whole bunch <laughs> Bunch of stories about soccer coaches molesting kids came up. Oh, uh, Uh. this
0: is concerning.
1: Whoa, okay, yeah. Oh, my! So, watch your kids around those coaches, folks. You
0: really cannot
1: the boys and the girls, boys and girls. Yes, Yes. Nasser,
0: uh, uh, the Penn State guy. We have, I work with a guy who. Yeah. In football at Penn State and so proud to have played with Sand uh, with Sandusky. And I'm like, dude, Ugh. that's what not good. I you? don't that's care. Not, that's
1: nothing to I brag about, man. I don't
0: think we should be <laughs> bragging about that. Oh man. No. No. We all need to wa- we do all mm. need to our kids. Because this is a this is a culture. Um I don't want to say anything bad about the church, but um, and I, I, this is, this is, I, I'm kind of glad you brought this up. Cause my, um, my news is, a li- is about the Jesuit, um, priests, um, reveal podcast, um, and I don't know if anybody, shout out to Al Letson over at Reveal. Those guys do some really, really great investigative journalism and uncover incredible stories that actually do lead to um, change um, in terms of uh, administrations um, and, and, and in the, the world that we see today. The latest episode calls uh, is called Sins of the Father, and it's about Jesuit, uh, Jesuit priests priests, multiple priests who chronically abused children and young men and women on Indian reservations. Um, The priests they would get complained about. And then the church would just shuffle them around from reservation to reservation as accusations mounted. And then finally, when there were too many accusations or the priests were just too fucking old, the, the church would just park the priests in this priest retirement home in the middle of Gonzaga university in Spokane. Um, the news story is bananas. It's a really great podcast episode. And, um, it's going to make you think it's going to make you angry. It's going to make you sick. Um, but it's going to also make you wonder what can we do about this? Cause this is a yeah, the Catholic yeah. church is so massive and they have so much money. Yeah.
1: And it's it, a big this, problem. This, yeah, This
0: story comes up over and over again.
1: So yeah, it keeps happening again and again and again and again. And
0: yeah, with all when with the coaching thing. So I don't know, but it's, it's, it's news because, um, it, it needs to be news. So, uh, now we are going to get into the part of our story where we shout out any content by people of color, LGBTQ people, um, people or any true crime goodies so i wanted to give a shout out to the podcast while black uh, it's two black dudes art and vince vince and i are play cousins <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the show is really well done but it's so necessary vince told me um that it was you know it was cl- i was like why did you start your show and you know i was telling him why, why we started fruit loops and he said it was clear to him after those ferguson the nonsense in ferguson um that basically People, white and black, were not informed about why Ferguson was the way it was, why people were angry, why um, these systems were the way they were, why history was what it was. And he and Art created this podcast to educate people. And they had an episode about having HIV while black, code switching while black, policing while black. And my absolute favorite episode was when they had a former prison corrections officer on. And he was talking about. St- prisoners you know shanking each other in the neck and the gaping holes and all the blood and gore the blood and gore i just loved it the um the raping the inner workings of the the prison like i loved it so much i had to listen to it twice and <laughs> in general they bring on experts on a topic from the atlanta area to discuss these issues from the perspective of somebody of color. It's very well informed. It's a great listen. And um, if you want to be a better human, aka be more like Beth, add it <laughs> to your playlist. <laughs> hmm.
1: So uh, my shout out is, and I've shouted this out before, stay tuned with Preet. But um, specifically his mm-hmm. December sixth episode, he did a, a live show with uh, Pakistani American comedian Kumail Ooh. Nanjiani who wrote and stars Mm. in The Big Sick and is also in the TV show Silicon Valley. Kumail talks about how happy he was when Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle came out because it portrayed people of color as just regular human beings Mm -hmm. with flaws and everything. Um, So human (laughs) beings.
0: Uh, You know, (laughs) people with more melanated skin are just regular people. <laughs> just yeah. Like everybody just just else. like everybody else. Yeah. Um so that was a really great recommendation Beth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm a big fan of both Preet and Kumail. Um The Big Sick is a super duper funny movie and my favorite joke is he's like he's like talking to his white white girlfriend's family while she's like in a coma or something in the waiting room at the hospital and they were talking about 9/11. They asked him about 9/11. He was like, "Oh man," It was such a sad day. We lost some of our best guys that day. And like it was it was a joke. But like white people's face was so It was just (laughs) priceless.
1: So he's very funny and his work is really funny. So I thank you for that shout out. Yeah, he is. He's really funny. Yeah. 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 It was a really good episode. I I enjoyed it a lot. I think I'll listen to it again. (laughs) (laughs) And I also, when, when he was talking about um, when Harold and Kumar go to White Castle um, and, and then his own, show he he's like i i don't feel like my job is to uh portray people of color as like great human beings just the the best mm-hmm. the cream of the crop or anything like that it's just uh to portray people of color as uh just just, just yeah. like everybody else human beings and i think that's kind of what we're trying to do too i think so
0: too and i i i i, I you know, <laughs> I don't know if anybody, it's a podcast, so you can't see me, but my fist is in the air. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Brown fist emoji. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I I agree. I agree with all you just said. So Beth, this is so much fun. We went a little longer than we wanted to, but um, I certainly had a great time. Um, But uh, if the people want to have more fun with us, where can they find us?
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod or you can become a monthly patron through our podbean patron page this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help that's right and if you don't want to give us any money
0: then why don't you give us a great review on iTunes yeah. um, <laughs> so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday so until next time look alive guys it's crazy out there From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomena slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering, what happened? Find Ohio
1: Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com